function in sound. Viewed to stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Work back Magnesium is naturally found in foods like. This is the Well and Good podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. Women working full-time in the United States make 83% of what men do, and for women of color, the gap is even wider. Which means, collectively, working women are losing out on more than $500 billion a year. Equal Pay Day, which this year, 2023, was recognized on March 14th, denotes how far into the year women must work to be paid what our male counterparts were paid in the previous year. I'm director of podcasts, Taylor Camille, and today we're in conversation with financial expert and host of the So Money podcast, Farnoosh Tarabi, examining what, if anything, can be done to course correct as she shares insight on how to advocate for ourselves in the workplace and take agency over our financial well-being. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. I'm a personal finance expert host of the podcast So Money, and author of many books, including the forthcoming A Healthy State of Panic, coming out this fall. I'm very excited. Wow. (laughs) I think we all are very much so in a healthy state of persistent panic. Yes, yes. I felt like it was really in the zeitgeist and therefore did would serve well as a title. Yeah, Yeah, that hits it on the nose. (laughs) I just wanted from your mouth, like how you would explain Equal Pay Day and the concept of the gender pay gap, which kind of is related to the day that we we Mm -hmm. know. And I think before we start, I think I didn't look at the last numbers, but I think it's like 20 cents, 80 cents for every dollar a man makes. That's generally women. And then if you go more specifically like women of color, black women, Asian women, Hispanic women, it's like significantly lower. Yeah. Right. All right. So I obviously am a big fan of Equal Pay Day. Um, I think it should be every day. I fight for this all the time, 365 days a year. It's important to have at least one day reflect on this, uh, what is not just really a wealth gap, but a wealth chasm. You know, Mm -hmm. when we think about what we earn, it's not just a paycheck. It's, um, It's attached to the value that we bring into the workplace. And the workplace currently is saying that the value of your work as a woman uh, relative to a man is worth less. And you could do the same work, work the same number of hours, have the same degrees, have the same experiences, and it's just where we're at. And unfortunately, this continues to be um, a battle. But I think with equal pay day, even just the one day a year, it's important to have this anchoring moment to recognize, to remember the work that still needs to be done. And, you know, when we look at the statistics, which haven't really changed much since I started working in this space 20 years ago, I think we've always been using this on and off, you know, roundabout uh, men making on average a dollar for every 80 cents a woman makes. So there's Mm -hmm. that 20 cent roughly gap, pay gap, But of course, if you look at it um, more individualistically, like if you are a black woman, if you are an uh, an Asian woman, uh, a Hispanic woman, a Latina, then you are making significantly less than that. And so I think, you know, this is an incredibly important time of year to think about 
the systemic issues that lead to this. Um, often the advice is uh, focused on what women can do, but I think this is not a woman's issue. Right. This is an everybody's issue. And this isn't just a, a moment for women to stop and recognize the pay gap, but for everybody, employers, men, women, and everybody in between to, to recognize their role in, uh, in making this uh, a more equal playing field. Right. And it's interesting that you mentioned that people make it women's problem. Like, oh, like save your money. Don't go to Starbucks. And I'm, or I know ask you ask for more, ask right. for more. And it's like, no, this is systemic. This is be like, it has to start outside of me before I can even get a foot in the door, you know? And I wondered because you, on your podcast, you, you fit, you yield advice for, from people. And, you know, what do you find is the biggest obstacle women are facing as they are in search for equal pay. What can really be done? I mean, outside of ourselves, I think, what can really be done to help actually level the playing field so that another 20 years from now, we're not still just being like, oh, we're just trailing behind. Right. Well, I I think that part of the challenge for women specifically, like for women, we got to remember that women as active participants in the workplace, we're new to this mm -hmm. scene compared mm -hmm. to men. We haven't been invited to work as we are today, you know, being able to rise through the ranks of corporate America. This was not in our playbook, you know, a century ago, even 50 years ago. So we are relatively new to the politics at work and the systems at work. The workplace is still by and large designed by men. And so we are really facing not just this like structural problem, but as participants in this structure, Again, because we're new to it, um, part of what builds confidence, at least I think, in anything you pursue, whether that's cooking or running or working, is like practice, mm -hmm. right? Having um, and having people mentor you from everyone down, from everyone up to you. So we don't have the history that men do in the workplace. We don't have the networking that men traditionally have had in the workplace, and the knowledge and that just the flexing that muscle in the workplace to know that what is sort of workplace culturally acceptable. Mm -hmm. And what is workplace culturally acceptable for men, it's a different rule book for women. You know, there's no actual rule book, but we know when you're in the workplace, I'm going to generalize here, but I think men just feel more kind of at home <laughs> in the workplace and feel more right. confident to speak up and out against things that they don't like. And for women, I think we're still acclimating to that comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Part of it is because of like just our history with work in America, but also because of the culture that is existing right now that is not very welcoming to women as much as men um, in the sense that I mean, even the book Lean In, which had its merits, you know, um, Sheryl Sandberg wrote about how women can sort of rise through the ranks in corporate America. It was very much a playbook that w that stemmed from how the men were doing things. Mm -hmm. And so let's do it how they do it. And I think, you know, in the beginning, there is a bit of that that has a role and a place. Like you just kind of want to get your day done, you know, and kind of figure out your directionality at work. And sometimes, and men can be a great source of wisdom and, and advice, but I think that ultimately it shouldn't be about just playing by these established rules, right? Mm -hmm. It should be about creating new ones because then we're just saying like the old rules are right, right and they need to persist. And I don't agree with that. I think most people wouldn't agree with that. And so let's be more creative. Let's think a little bit more inclusively and have everybody write these rules and not just the sort of, you know, the folks who've been there the longest and have the loudest voices. And so to answer your question, I think that 
again, part of what is personally challenging for women. And I consider myself too, you know, I find that there are moments, especially in my younger years as I was coming up through my career, that I was just happy to be there. Yeah. And I felt like if I wanted an opportunity that I had to work overtime to prove my worth more than, say, uh, a male colleague. I mean, I, I remember I was writing about this recently. I had an internship. An internship, you know, this is like where we all sort of get our, our foundation yeah. in our careers. It was an unpaid internship. Don't even get me started on that. But at least it was a fairly unpaid internship because none of the interns, male or female, got paid. paid. (laughs) But like I showed up early. I stayed late. I said yes to everything. And there was a cohort of mine in the internship program who had been invited into the program. And it was well known. Like he he was the son of someone influential within the company. Mm. He didn't show up early. He was not even around half the time. And maybe he shouldn't have been because it wasn't paid. And, you know, all of us should have just taken a break. But I felt, you know, it was such a privilege for him to be able to do that. And it wasn't for me. And I'm not saying that I could have, I could never have gotten away with that. And he, I'm sure, is doing fine today. And it was, so we see these things early on in our immediate experiences with workplace culture. We see the differences in how your gender, your sexual orientation, like all of it, like your race, and also who you know. And who Mm -hmm. you know is oftentimes a, a derivative of how you got here, mm-hmm. you know, and not all of us got here in the same ways. And and so, you know, again, these are not these are not written down rules, but you start to experience them and then that starts to inform your own personal narrative around how to show up at work. Mm-hmm. And for women that can be, you know, I am less than at work or I don't have the same sort of people don't look at me the same way. People don't value me the same way. And money is a an important way of how we address value in this in this country, you know. It's not the only thing that we do, but I don't I can't pay my bills with like thank yous. Right. You know, I I got to pay my bills with that paycheck. And so I think that's the other thing too is that sometimes there's a lot of talk in the culture about appreciating women and women are so valuable, especially mothers. You know, we know how to prioritize. We're great assets in the workplace. Well, thank you. Can you please pay me too to reflect (laughs) that honoring title that you've given me? Exactly. And so, you know, there's only so much that women can do. Maybe first is just recognizing that these rules should be broken and, you know, there is a risk to speaking up sometimes. And I want to I want to say that, you know, I don't want this to come across as all the women, we need to just rise and stand up and and be confrontational at work because that can come at a price for, for women. I mean, my mother asked for a raise, this was in the 90s, and she got fired, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that, that completely tainted her view on and her fear of like, she was worried about me, you know, asking for raises versus my father who said you should absolutely do it. Why? Because his experience was different. Yeah. He would ask for raises and worst case, they would say no, but he would still have a job. For my mother, it was the opposite. And I, so again, as a woman today, if I had just listened to my mother, I may not have had the financial sort of, you know, I wouldn't maybe not have be where I am today with with my income and my business and all of that because I would have listened to her fear and not seen it as something that's telling me to to think differently, but rather just to keep the status quo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much. I'm like, all so many thoughts came to mind as you were talking. <laughs> but one of them, just as I think about you know, pay transparency and asking for all of these things is the trend that we're sort of seeing in major cities. I know New York um, recently 
um, pass through. Like we should be talking, we have to be transparent about the salaries. And it's interesting to see the loopholes that they're doing where it's like the range is 45 to 145. It's like, okay, yeah, that's they don't want you to know the CEO is making a million dollars. Exactly. And it's really important. Uh, A friend of mine turned down a job recently in California Mm. for an employer who it was like very low pay compared to what she was making in the previous job. And they tried to sell her on the perks, you know, it's a nonprofit, you know, okay, I get that. But then why is the CEO making a million dollars a year and everybody else is making barely minimum wage? Yeah. That is not, that's corrupt. And she found out that because it's public information and especially because they're a nonprofit and it informed her decision to not take the job. She tried to negotiate. She did the good work. Mm -hmm. She did her part. They didn't Mm -hmm. show up for her and and frankly probably everybody else that works for them. Right. And so um she's going to keep looking, but I think that it's really important because and I mean, I get it. I get why some employers are scared to death to, to put this out there because <laughs> right. it's going to be very revealing about mm-hmm. their pay structure and um I think this is so important. I mean, it's it's the least that companies can do. And for a while before this was even a law, you know, people didn't know this, but they could go to HR a lot of times. Not every company has this, but, and everybody should do this still, even if you live in a state that has sort of pay transparency. But going to HR where you currently work and asking for your salary band or your salary range, mm-hmm. and this again is a, um, I think what the, the salary transparency in New York is sort of getting at is being at least transparent about what is that budget that they have set aside for that particular job that you right. are applying for. And not every company has a record of this or has this formally, but you could bet that most medium and large size companies, at least if they have 50 or 100 employees, they're doing this. Mm-hmm. And you have every right to know where you lie on this salary band. And I actually did this myself uh, during uh, a job early in my career at a media company. Mm. And I kept asking for a raise, Taylor, and they kept saying no. And I knew I was, I knew I was deserving of it and, mm-hmm. and had not only deserving of it, but that the work that I was, the output was, was worthy of the input, the check. And I uh, kept getting rejected. And finally, I, I was dying to know, okay, so maybe I'm just overpaid. No. You know, I went to HR and they, and they said, and I said, what is my salary range? And I, I've, I've been, I've written about this. I've been very honest about this. I think I was making around 44, 45 K at the time. And I'd been there for over two years and HR said, well, your job, which was a producer, uh, it was, I think 44 to 90 some thousand dollars. And so I was at the very Bottom. bottom, like the bottom, 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 doing honestly two people's jobs. And that was, I was like, well, thank you. And she didn't, by the way, that took minutes to discover. I didn't have, I didn't have any pushback. Mm. They just gave it to me. And I think they were afraid, but it's my right. Mm-hmm. And they're not telling you that this is your right. They're not going around the newsroom saying, hey, come upstairs and find out your salary band. <laughs> no. Again, this was my father who said to me, you should ask this. And I was like, what do you mm-hmm. I had to like look it up? I don't even know what this means. They're going to laugh at me. Nope. They knew exactly what I was asking for and delivered it. And although I didn't get a raise at that job, it was so important to know where I stood at that company, which was, by the way, a competing newsroom. Mm-hmm. And so the next job that I went to apply for 
where the the job criteria was actually more robust. I was it was sort of like if I had stayed at the, the new station, this would have been a promotion. So mm-hmm. going into that job and they asking me how much do I want to make, I knew. said I said a hundred thousand dollars because I felt confident. You know, numbers yeah. don't lie. Those that salary range made me so confident in knowing what I was at least valued at in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. knew I was going to a more financially profitable company where I was interviewing next. So I thought asking them for six figures, you know, maybe they, for them. I mean, yeah. and you know, we settled at 90. Yeah. The worst they can say is no. The worst things. I get people writing into my podcast, women, uh, men mm-hmm. don't ask this question. Women say, I'm afraid to negotiate. I'm afraid they're going to rescind the job offer. Sort of like my mom, you know, because it, it happens. Yeah. It's, it yeah. is a legit fear. It is. But I think, you know, sometimes, and I'm writing about fear and how we should honor our fears and listen to our fears. But sometimes um, when it comes to our money, uh, it's not about ignoring your fears, but it's about recognizing what is the, what is the scarier thing? Like you're scared mm-hmm. right now, but what's scarier? What's yeah. so you're afraid that you're going to ask for more and they're going to take away your job offer? Which, by the way, I'm going to tell you right now, they're not going to do. Okay. No, they're not going to do that. Make something work out. You're going to say no. <laughs> but even if you're afraid of that actually happening, okay, that's a legit fear, I suppose. But you know what's scarier? Not, not asking, asking, locking yourself into a job that's underpaying you for years. Yeah. You're making 30, 40% less than your potential. That is money that is not compounding in the stock market, that is not getting you to live a more fulfilling life, do all the things you want to do. That's, to me, more frightening than a job. And I said, if a company is going to fire you over that, you don't want to work for that company. It's a great (laughs) test. It's a great test to see what they say. Now, you know, you got to be realistic. you got to do your research, come in with some reasoning for this ask. You know, you can't just mm-hmm. come out of left field and go, I want a million dollars. And, you know, it's like a, <laughs> you're 25 working <laughs> at a, a junior associate. You know, you have to <laughs> do your market research. And even then it may feel like you're asking for too much because you're coming from college, say, and you're making, you made nothing. And now you're suddenly asking for $80,000. And that feels like it is night and day, but it's not in the corporate world. Considering these are, we're talking about billion dollar companies, they've got the money. And, mm-hmm. and so it's, again, back to your earlier question, it's like part of it is just education, knowing what the market can command to build that confidence. That's a big hurdle sometimes for everybody, but particularly women who haven't really been coached as much as men in this thing called the job market. Mm-hmm. And then the other is like sort of reckoning with your fears. Like I get it. Every fear you have about money and work is probably legit, but I'm crazy. I want you to get even more frightened because that's when you start to really see things clearly. And then you suddenly mm-hmm. know exactly what to do. You go back and you ask for yeah. more and you're you're suddenly not afraid anymore. It's kind of a beautiful thing how that works out. It kind of is a beautiful thing. And it, it, it pains me because I, as women, I feel like we have to, we feel a sense that we have to come with all the receipts and all of the marketing. Yeah, and men just walk in just and walk like, in. I know I'm friends with Joe, so I should get this job. So yeah, Joe said I could get this. <laughs> yeah, and that's actually one thing that Cheryl Sandberg. I think I I really appreciated that and lean in, which was this study that she talked about how women have to feel as though if they look at a job description, they have to feel as though they qualify. They hit the almost every single bullet. 
well, I only have three years of experience. They want five. I only have a bachelor's. They want a master's. And I mean, everything's negotiable. Just get in Mm -hmm. the door. Apply Mm -hmm. yourself. You never know. There is, I can guarantee nobody hits all those bullet points. And if they do, they're probably overqualified for that job. This is the wish list. It's not a, it's not a, uh, a perfect job description. This is like the employer in a perfect world. Here's everything that this person would have. Um, and so remember that sometimes putting yourself in the employer's shoes can be helpful in figuring out how you're going to negotiate because knowing what they want can help you to better uh, lead with the things that um, will sell you best, right? Um, and that's mm-hmm. just not just good negotiating tips in a you know in an employee and employer negotiation, but all negotiations. You want to always understand the other side's point of view because then mm-hmm. it's going to make you um, going to it's going to make your pitch more compelling. You're just going to have more. You, can you imagine? It's quite the Jedi move, like to know what the other person is thinking and wants yeah. to inform your moves. It's brilliant. So many great. Gems, I love being in conversation with you. I wondered what comes to your mind as the shifts necessary for the systems to kind of get more equal. Well, I think going back to firstly that this women's equal pay day is something that everybody should reflect on and think how can I play an important role in in moving this movement forward and and making this so that we don't have to have you know, women's equity day, pay equity day, that it, it just becomes mm-hmm. what we do. It's the standard. And that includes men, that includes employers, um, even universities and colleges, because I don't think they're doing a good enough job of preparing their graduates for the job market to say, hey, here's how you negotiate, that this is totally normal and you should you should have more of a of a say in what you earn. And so that's the first thing is just recognizing this is a part that we all can play. Women, again, to no fault of our own, we have sort mm-hmm. of been culturized to believe that we should just put up and shut up in the workplace and that there is necessarily a cost to asking for what we're, what the value of our work is. And you know, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes employers can be punitive in that way. But I think that if we all can agree to do this, we become a force to reckon with. When you're the only mm-hmm. woman in the in the office who's asking for more and the other 12 are quiet, well, yeah, that woman's being real brave and she's courageous because she may take – she'll get the brunt of things perhaps. But if 12 women get together and decide, no, enough, we're going to ask for more, that's a harder thing for a company to reconcile with. And so I guess the message there is enlist your allies, find your allies, men and women, because Mm -hmm. it becomes a lot harder to say no to a collective than to one person. Um, And I think, you know, I see all these studies every year. It's like another study. Well, when she asks for more at work versus he asks for more, same script, same title, the employer's Negatively on both of them, but more so on the woman. On the woman. And yeah. so then, okay, well, then I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to get this. I'm not going to, I don't want to be penalized. And I get that. But what if like 20 women went in, you know? And so mm-hmm. find your allies. And, and sometimes it's uh, outside of your, your immediate work ecosystem. Maybe it's people in different departments, past employees, and getting 
just as much intel and as much political support as you can at work. Unfortunately, that's work. You know, it's like a playing field and there's, it's like chess. And uh, sometimes it is about playing the game, which is why I don't play it anymore. I work for myself. I've had enough. It's a privilege. But yeah, finding your allies is really important. And understanding that when you're negotiating and they're asking you what you want to make and all that, like put it back on them. This is Mm -hmm. not, the pressure should not all be on you to figure out what you want to make or what you should be paid. Companies should be Mm -hmm. transparent. And in the absence of that, and they ask you what you want to make, you should say, what's your budget? You know, I think we're, I think, well, although, you know, we started this conversation talking about, you know, man makes a dollar for every 80 cents a woman makes. That hasn't really changed much in the time that Mm -hmm. I've been working in personal finance. But I think what has changed is the discourse and the, like the dialogue around this has really grown and has become stronger. And so to bring up pay equity during a negotiation is, it should not be considered unusual or unheard Mm of. You know, people Mm -hmm. have like there are enough there's enough out there you've come across this you know whether it was like on yeah. twitter or in your own house or you read an article in the new york times or you're you know on well and good and so i think like to recognize that where we're also at culturally is an opportunity for you to leverage that to bring that into the conversation checking people 20 years ago even 8 10 years ago would have been a lot more of a risk uh, for women But now I think, and men, please do it too. I'm sure men listen to this podcast too, but this advice is for everybody, um, men and women, that when you see unjust things, when you come across, let's say, you know, you work in HR, you are a manager and you come across everybody's salary on a spreadsheet, you know, a colleague did, a friend of mine saw recently that like all the women and most of those women were women of color on a particular team at a particular Fortune 500 company were significantly paid less than the male colleagues. And so she brought this up to the attention of her manager. Oh, that's another podcast, Taylor. But long story (laughs) short, she voiced, and it wasn't easy because the first thing she heard after she brought it up was, well, it's a meritocracy. No, it's not. This is how people still think in 2023. She's like, it's not a meritocracy when all the men are making more than the women and significantly more. And the women are carrying the weight of the team. And how do we just turn a blind eye to that? Oh, they told us, they, but she was like, no, 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 no. I cannot. I cannot. Like, I will yeah. fall on my sword for this. But like, and yeah. she did. And and it got pretty high up and to the point where they're like, well, you know, the money was spent. They didn't have the money, but then they decided they would have to take it out of the bonuses that year. Have to. These, you have to find the money. I said, imagine if this got leaked to the press. Like, it shouldn't, we shouldn't have to like threaten that. Right. But right. to get Just you to think right. straight. But it's like, what are we doing? How, how, because it was also such a, it was not how the com- I mean, no company wants to be seen like that, but particularly this company who was very like, you know, they talked the talk, but they weren't inside, I guess. And it's, you know, it's it's very hard to run a big company like that with so many silos. And But I think it's still possible. You know, you can still at least be pay transparent. Right. And there's a lot of hype, highly educated people who know how to to do better. Exactly. I mean, do you think if the CEO was like, I need to make more this year, they couldn't have figured that out, you know, but suddenly like 15 women of color need to be making 
not even just like a little bit more, but a lot because it was significant, the gap. And mm. they found it. They, you know, yeah. they'll find it because otherwise they got a crisis of bigger proportions on their hands if they don't. Much, much bigger. Thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else that you didn't include that you want to Oh, my share? gosh. Well, I love talking about all this stuff on my podcast. So if anybody wants to send me questions or is an expert on this topic as well, I'd love to invite you on So Money. And thank you for shedding a light on this, Taylor, and Well and Good. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Well and Good, have been for years and years and years. So Yay. always happy to come and, and join and hang out. Great. And I just wanted to know from yourself, when do you feel you're most financially well? Wow. Um, oh, you know, it's so many moments throughout the year that I might feel what I would call financially well, but um, I'll give you a very specific example. Just recently, I fully funded my IRA for the year, you know, before tax season ended. And so I was able to <laughs> to capitalize on that. But it's always like, it's hard to invest in your future self when you have so mm -hmm. many obligations today. And, and it can feel not fun. You know, I did it and I was proud of myself, but I was like, oh, wow, that could have been, you know, something else that I'd be happier with today. <laughs> but yeah. I have to believe that when I get to be, you know, in 30 years, I will look back and thank myself. And I'm already thanking myself, but I just want to tell everybody, like, I know it's hard to invest for yourself in the future and to put away that IRA money or that 401k dollar, but um, you will not regret it. Nobody has ever arrived at retirement going, oh, I saved so much money. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I do that? How could I have been so cruel to myself? Yeah. yeah. So I got to trust that and, and keep with it. But that's, that's a, you know, for me, an example, but also too, like if I'm having, if I'm as a self-employed person who has worked very hard to kind of create a, an infrastructure for herself where, you know, I can be sick, not worry about getting paid for being sick that day or what have you, that mm -hmm. I that I can just be me and have a bad day and want to be in bed or go do stuff with my kids instead of working, that I can afford to do that, that mm -hmm. I have made it so I can build in these moments that are um, really at the end of the day what matter and not worry about, well, I'm not getting paid or I'm going to lose money for this. That um, as I say, you work hard to make your life easy and you work hard in your financial life so that you can, you know, ultimately enjoy your life because that's really what it's about. It's not about counting your money. It's about counting your mm -hmm. days and your moments with your family and your loved ones and with yourself. Yep, absolutely. On today's show, you heard me in conversation with Farnoosh Tarabi. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share. This episode was edited by our friends at Edit Audio and produced by Jen Snyder, Abby Stone, and myself, Taylor Camille, along with many other hands and brains at Well and Good. Our theme music was created by Madeline Lakomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Mesonette.